Amen, amen. I'm so glad that you guys are here this morning. We're going to start week two of our series called Red Letters, and we're just digging through the New Testament, looking at some of the most powerful statements that Jesus made. And I don't even know how you can do that because every statement that Jesus made was powerful, right? The guy was just dropping bombs everywhere he went with spiritual revelation and truth from the Father. And, and he was just an instrument of change while he was here. He took the religious system and just turned it upside down. He was powerful when he was here. So the stuff that he said, it, 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 it had huge impact on the world. And so we're going to be looking at some of the more powerful things, at least that stick out as I read that he said. And last week we started with Matthew chapter 16 and we just dug into a powerful, powerful, powerful revelation and statement that Jesus was making. And I want to walk you through that again today, just in case you weren't here last week, because I know it's hard with work and some of us are in and out with events for the kids and vacation and, and all of that, and we don't get to make it to every Sunday. So I want to say thank you for being here today. And I would encourage you to go back and listen to last week's message on the podcast so that you are in sync with what's happening in the church. Amen? So even if you can't be here, you can still be up to date on what's happening. So I want to walk us through real quick, just a quick review of what happened to set up what we're going to talk about today, because I believe what we're talking about today is powerful too. We're going to jump onto the tail end of this statement that Jesus is making here. Jesus took his disciples um, up to the region of Caesarea Philippi um, to open their eyes, really, and give them a powerful, an opportunity for a powerful revelation of who he was. And Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you? Jesus, I'm not interested so much in what these other people are saying. I want to know who you say that I am. And Peter speaks up, and we were talking about this last week. He finally got something right, and he says, You're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades or the gates of hell will not over." Coming. This is just huge right now because Jesus takes, real quickly, the disciples up to a region of Caesarea Philippi, which was a, an area of heavy idolatry and heavy pagan god worship. There was a lot of sick and perverted things that would go on there, and uh, they, 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 they would do uh, all kinds of sexual rituals to worship their gods. They would do all kinds of human sacrifice, children's sacrifice. They would cut themselves, mutilate themselves, do all kinds of sick things. The region that Jesus took them to, there was a temple set up. Um, and it was. we're going to show you a picture of it just so you guys are on the same page. It would look something like this rendering of it. And on what would be my right, you would have the temple to Zeus, which was a Greek god Zeus. And on the left, you would have a temple set up to the god Pan who was like a, a half-goat, half-man kind of entity. And so Jesus brought the disciples to this area that had been known for over a thousand years to be an established place of pagan worship, to pagan 
gods. Before the Grecians and the Romans came in and set up the temples for Zeus and for Pan, uh, the Canaanites were there and they worshipped the god Baal. And what's really cool to me is that behind this um, temple to Pan, there's a little cave. If you look over in the, it'll be my left corner of the screen, you'll see a cave that sat behind the temple to Pan. And that was known as the Gates of Hell. And for over a thousand years, this area was recognized as an area of dark spiritual activity. An established center of dark spiritual activity. And they called this the Gates of Hell. So when Jesus walked up to this area, he walked up to an area that was spiritually dark, spiritually desolate, where all this demonic stuff was going on. When Jesus was there with the disciples, there were people committing the deals with the, with the temple prostitutes. There, people were there. Human sacrifice was happening while Jesus was there with the disciples as these people were offering up offerings to Zeus and to Pan at the time. Now, we talked last week about what Jesus was doing here. This is absolutely powerful. I want to lay this groundwork today before we get into what I want to share with the rest of the message today because if you missed last week, you're going to miss the punch for today's message. So you guys with me? All right. So Jesus takes them to this area. If you will, put Matthew 16 back up there, guys. He takes them to this area of Caesarea Philippi, where the spiritual darkness is. If you will, skip down to the end of, uh, put up uh, verse 18 there, if you will, please. He brings them to this area. Peter says, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, which is a, a, a huge revelation for Peter to proclaim. And Jesus says... That's right, and I will build my church. And we see the word church, and we think us today, church in this room. But that's not really what Jesus was saying. Jesus uses the word ecclesia. He uses the word ecclesia here. And if you go to Bible seminary, they'll teach you that the church is the ecclesia, or they might say ecclesia, depending on uh, the teacher that you got. But the right way to say it is ecclesia. Ecclesia was a common term in the day. Jesus was saying, I will establish my ecclesia. Ecclesia was a governmental term. Ecclesia was a separated or called out group that would have been recognized in the Roman society and in the Greek society and by Jews around. The ecclesia was a separated group that governed under the authority of the king. So what Jesus was saying here is that on this place, Known for over a thousand, thousand years as a place of spiritual darkness, the gates of hell, the command center of the enemy. I am establishing my government on top of the government of the enemy. I'm putting him under my feet. This is amazing to me what Jesus is doing. It's so powerful. He, he says, the game's up for the enemy. I'm establishing my government on top of the government of the enemy. That's what Jesus was doing here. And then he says, not only am I doing that, but the gates of hell will not overcome it. Some translations say the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we read that and we think that sometimes there's like this struggle that goes on, especially around Halloween, where there's just goblins and ghosts and scary movies all over the place. And we think, ooh, the power of the devil is so strong. This, is, this isn't what Jesus is saying here. 
Jesus is saying the gates, the gates of a city was the governmental structure of the city where the government people would come to meet. The gates of the city was a defensive structure. Nobody in here has ever been attacked by a gate, right? Nobody in here has ever been attacked by a gate. It's a defensive structure. What Jesus is saying here is, I will establish my government on top of the government of the enemy and completely defeat him, and he will not be able to defend himself against the onslaught that we're going to hit it with. When Jesus established us as a church, he established us to be a dominant force, an overcoming force that the enemy could not hold back. That's powerful right there. Y'all need to wake up a little bit. Y'all need to help me preach this morning. Can y'all help me preach this morning? He said, I'm setting up my church. That means, who's the church? Who's the ecclesia? We are. So we represent the governmental authority of God, the governmental authority of Jesus in his church on this earth. That means that not one thing the enemy throws at us can prevail against us. The opposite is true. He can't stop anything we hit him with. The church is supposed to be an unstoppable force that moves across this earth promoting the kingdom of God. And there's not one thing the gates of hell can do to prevail against it. That's just awesome to me. What Jesus is establishing here is awesome to me, what Jesus is establishing here. And then he finishes his statement. He says, the gates of hell will not be able to overcome. And in Matthew 6, 19, Jesus says this. And this is where it gets really fun. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Jesus is saying... I'm going to establish my government and my authority. And you are going to be my ecclesia to implement the commands of the king on this earth. The devil is not going to be able to stop it. And here's what he's doing. When he says, I give you the keys of the kingdom, he is transferring authority to us, the church. And when we hire staff here or bring staff on here at the church, or bring in a new department leader to the church, one of the first things that we do is we give them a key to the building or they get uh, access to the lockbox to have a key to get into the building so they can have meetings, so they can do what they need to do because if you're going to be a leader, you're going to have stuff to do, right? So keys show trust and authority and empowerment. This is what Jesus is giving us here. The authority, not just in him. A lot of times we think, God is, is the source of power. God is the, the source of authority, and it all rests with him. And we do our best to survive on this earth while we take punches from the enemy, and we do our best to struggle, and we do our best to fight with sin, and we do our best to deal with the attacks of the enemy. And when it's overwhelming to us, we run back to God, and he puts us under his wing and protects us. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. That's not what he's saying here. We walk with the authority that Jesus walks with because we represent him on this earth where we step, it's under our authority if we're lined up under the authority of Jesus. 
That is powerful if that gets in your spirit because that will begin to change the way you see yourself. I got a question for you this morning, and it's kind of up front. Last week I asked you who you said Jesus was in your life, and we had to stop and think about our view of Jesus and his authority and his power and how we view him and how we view our approach on church. Today I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you this. Are you operating in the authority that Jesus gives you? Are you operating in the fullness of the power and the authority that is available to you as a child of God? As his ecclesia, as his governing body on this earth, implementing the commands of the king from heaven, doing what he says to do, how he says to do it in relationship with him? Are you operating in overcoming power and authority in your life? Now, the answer for most people that attend church is no. It's no. For most people, church is something that you show up to maybe every couple of weeks or every three weeks. Usually, when things are going good, people don't show up to church. But when things go bad, people show up to church because they need God to rescue them. You know? it, are you operating in authority in your life? And if you look at most people, they don't. They don't overcome the attacks of the enemy. They get beat up by the enemy. They don't overcome temptation. They get beat up and trapped in temptation. They don't walk with freedom. They don't walk with power. They don't walk. When, when, when they pray for people, you don't see them healed. You don't, like if you, if you follow these people around, you don't see them operating in the level of anointing and power that you read about. Now, you'll find some people walking around in that, but not everybody, because most people don't operate in the authority that Jesus gives us. I believe that can change today. I believe that can change in this church today. Amen? I believe that all of us can operate in the power and the authority that's been given to us as our right as children of God and refuse to settle for anything less than what God has given us. Amen? Now, here's the deal, though, and this is where a lot of people miss this because they hear people like me say that, and then they see other people do it, but they miss the connection in their own life because the power and authority of God in our life only works in the context of relationship with him and obedience to him. You have to line up. You have to line up under his authority and in his system in order to operate with his authority and with his power. Does that make sense? Everybody say line up. It all starts with a relationship with him. Because if you have not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're not a child of God. You don't have any rights. You don't have any privileges. You don't have any access. You're just like anybody else bouncing around getting your tail kicked by the enemy. Slave to sin, trapped in sin, no hope, no desire, no, nothing at all. You're spiritually dead on the inside. But once you have a relationship with Jesus... That power of sin is broken over your life. And now, positionally, you have the power to operate in freedom from sin. That's what the Bible says, doesn't it? He sets us free from sin. So you have to have, operate from relationship, and you have to operate in obedience to him. Because the only way you can accurately represent the authority of the king is if you are moving in step with the commands of the king. Because if the king says, go here and do this, but you go here and do this, 
you're not accurately following his commands, are you? So if you step out of his commands, you step out of his authority. When people get saved, they give their lives to Jesus, and then we begin to understand his, his purpose for our lives, and we begin to grow in, in our walk with him, and we begin to, to get into the Bible and, and read it, and God begins to speak to us, and, and he begins to show us who he intended for us to be. And he begins to show us our spiritual gifts and our spiritual potential that we have and our talent. And he begins to reveal to us his calling and his purpose for our lives. So we're saved. And then he moves us into a place where we can begin to implement as his child, as his ecclesia, his plan and his purpose for our lives. And this is where a lot of people bow out. Because how many of you know that sometimes what God calls us to do isn't exactly convenient? It's not exactly easy sometimes. And it's easier to sit in church and let somebody preach at you than it is to get involved and get engaged and begin to step out and sacrifice time and sacrifice money and to sacrifice yourself for a greater purpose of what God has called you to do. Most people hit the off-ramp when God starts saying, okay, here's what I'm calling you to do. Nah, that's not too convenient, and we hit the off-ramp. And when we do that... We step out of his plan, we step out of alignment with what he's called us to do. We step out of alignment with his authority and his power, and we open up the door for trouble in our lives. Is this making sense? Am I tracking with you right now? All right, it, it opens up the door, and this is where a lot of people are defeated because they're not moving in step and in sync with God's calling, God's command, and God's authority. Because you can only operate in his authority when you're accurately representing his commands and his call on your life. Make sense? This is good stuff. This will change you. This will change you if you let this get in your spirit this morning. It will absolutely change you. Um, It only works in context relationship and obedience to him. God establishes systems. He establishes systems. Like if you look at a watch... A watch is set up with, with gears and components inside of it to make it move in time so it can accurately keep time. But when the components inside it, when the gears start moving slower, the time becomes inaccurate. When, when the pieces aren't lined up and functioning properly, it affects the whole system and the watch isn't reliable. God set up systems in the universe that we live in. If you look at the stars and the galaxies and solar systems and how this all works, it's all moving in a system. It's all moving in a rhythm. It's all moving in a cadence. And you see orbits and you see gravitational pulls and you see, you see a beautiful structure that's in place. Our planet where we are right now, if we were a degree this direction, we would burn up. If we were a degree tilted in this direction, we would freeze. But God has put us perfectly where we need to be. For this planet to sustain life. Ecosystems are in place. Water systems are in place. God is a God of systems and God is a God of structure. And when we step outside of that system, then things begin to come out of balance. Like I was driving my truck. I'm going to show you a picture of my truck. Don't laugh. This is, this is my baby right here. I call it the Mighty Whitey. Somebody was making fun of me and said, you ought to call it the tidy whitey. And I said, hush your mouth, that's my truck. It's paid for. And those are beautiful words. Yeah. Paid for. Don't mess with me, Jack. My truck is paid for. 
Uh, it's got almost 450,000 miles on it. Yeah, like I can't kill it. Can't kill it. Now, I've done, full disclaimer, I've done engine work and, you know, transmission work and all that on it, but it's mostly, it's mostly there. Um, it started running rough on me the other day. I was going down the road, and it started skipping and sputtering and skipping and sputtering. Oh, well, this isn't right. I know this thing's old, but it doesn't run this rough on me, you know, skipping and sputtering. So I got up there, and I got to looking under the hood, and you always start with the cheapest thing. When you're, when you're troubleshooting stuff when you're working on a vehicle, you start with the cheapest stuff, and then you work up. And, and I hopped on YouTube and looked at symptoms and all that, what it could be. And so I started with spark plugs. Cheap, easy. I hadn't had a tune-up on my truck in a while. I'm just going to start there. So I replaced the plugs on it, and you know what happened? started running like a top. I mean, strong. I got about 25% more gas mileage. It started running strong, no hesitation, no sputter. It's alive again, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm not going to be able to kill this thing. This thing is like the sandals that the children of Israel had that God made last longer that didn't wear out. Yeah, that's my truck right there. It does not wear out. Um, you know, sometimes in our walk with God, we can have some misfires. And if we're not hitting and we're not getting the spark that we need, and in all areas and facets of our walk with God, it throws the system off. And we don't perform like we're intended to. That's what was happening with my truck. And that's what happens in our walk with God. Because there's systems that he has set up. And when we step outside of the system, when the system becomes out of balance, then there's dysfunction. Dysfunction and ineffectiveness in our walk with God comes from misalignment with the system that he set. Dysfunction and ineffectiveness in our walk with God comes from misalignment with the system that he set up. The system is, you're my child. The system is, you move in step with what I command you to do. You're my ecclesia on this earth. That means that you represent and implement the commands of the king. Corporately as a church and individually for what I've called you to do. And when you step outside of that, you begin to see dysfunction. And things don't work the way that they were supposed to. Y'all still with me? That's some fancy way to say when we don't line up with God, we can't operate in the fullness of the power of God and the authority of God. This is where a lot of people miss out. So he gives us the keys. And he says to us, you got power to bind and loose. You've got authority in your life. And this is how it'll play out. This is how it'll play out. In people's lives. Pastor Jeremy, can you help me out real fast? So let's say Jeremy gets saved. We're all praying for that, for Pastor Jeremy to get saved one day. So Pastor Jeremy gets saved. He's growing in his walk with God. But Pastor Jeremy has this nagging little thing. Pastor Jeremy has got an addiction to porn. Now, he doesn't, but for the sake of this illustration, he does. All right? He likes Alabama football, which is really close, but we're going to give him a pass on that. So Pastor Jeremy's got an addiction here to this. Now, spiritually, he has the authority to walk in freedom over that addiction. Amen? He's got the authority to take this key and lock it up and put it in its place so it does not have power and it cannot be effective in his life. That addiction is gone because he's free in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. That's how it works. That's how it works. 
So Jeremy decides, I'm going to come to church. I'm going to attack this thing. He gets in the church. The presence of God is here. He goes, you know what? I need to make a change. I'm sick of being hooked on this stuff. I'm sick of it messing with my mind. I want to get my mind clean. I want to get my spirit clean. I want to please God with my life. So I'm getting rid of all this stuff today. So he lays it all down, and he locks it up, and he decides, I'm going to walk in victory over this today. Then Monday comes, and he's got to get up early for work, and the kids are going crazy, and he gets home from work. He's exhausted. Kids are going crazy. So Monday goes by, and Jeremy skips his time with God. Tuesday goes by, same story. Now, what Jeremy's doing is now he is stepping out of alignment with what? His relationship with God. So he's stepping out of alignment. He's stepping out of that relationship. And he's opening himself up to the influences that are going to be coming in. Because he's not feeding his spirit. And I promise you this. If you're not feeding your spirit the word of God, the enemy's going to find a way to feed that flesh something else so that it overcomes the desire to please God. Am I telling the truth? Yep. Exactly what he's going to do. So about Wednesday, Jeremy says, man, I just I had it. Me and my wife are fighting. We haven't been together in a while. Sick of this kid stuff. I'm just ready to go back to what I'm used to. So he walks into the room, shuts the door, clicks on line, and begins to watch a bunch of junk. Now, Jeremy... Believe in God to set him free from this addiction. But he's choosing to take this key. Are you hearing me? And open up what should stay bound. He's opening up something to have access in his life that shouldn't be there. And instead of unlocking the freedom and the peace and the power of God through his relationship with God... He chooses to go back and unlock this addiction and open it back up and expose himself to it. And he cuts the legs out from underneath his authority and allows us to come back into his life. This is how it plays out. Yeah. Give Jeremy a hand. This is how it plays out. We hold the keys to bind and loose. We hold the keys to lock and unlock this stuff from our lives to operate in the authority and the power that Jesus gives us. This isn't super spiritual stuff. This is how it works. A lot of times we allow stuff in our life that we should be locking up so it can't have a place in our lives. And a lot of times we deny loosening the blessing and the power of God in our lives through our relationship with Him, and it opens up all this stuff. You got a mom whose son has just lost his ever-loving mind. So she comes in here to the women's ministry night and she says, y'all need to pray for my son. He has lost his mind. So we're going to pray for him, pray for God to get a hold of his heart, pray for God to deliver him, pray for God to bring him back, pray for him to get his, his mind and his life straight. Can you guys pray for my son to just get right with God so we can have peace in our house? And so they pray for that. And then she goes home. And she begins to run her mouth to her husband about how horrible her son is and how pathetic the son is and what a loser he is. But you can't pray for changing somebody's life and then speak death out of your mouth over that person. You can't try to lose freedom and then bring bondage at the same time. And you're cutting, your, you're cutting the legs out of what God wants to do. You're cutting the legs out of the authority and the power that you have. 
I see this happen all the time. I see this happen a lot too. Um, I see people pray for God to bless their finances. God, please let me win the lottery. Next time it gets to $1.6 billion, I don't know. We may all have to go play and just pray and, and ask God to. <laughs> but God bless, God bless, God bless, God bless. And we pray for God to unlock the floodgates of heaven. But when it comes down to it, in our lives, we don't operate in alignment with God's financial plan for our lives. You hearing me? So we pray for blessing, but we don't honor him with the first fruit of what he gives us. We pray for blessing, but we're not giving. Not just in offerings, but we're not generous with our lifestyle. We're, we're not a giving kind of person. The Bible says that if you sow, what will happen? That if you give generously, what will happen? Be given back to you. He says that if you give, he'll open up a floodgate of what? Blessing on you that you won't be able to contain. That's the promise when you operate in line with what he said. That blessing and that covering is there. And that might not all hit as financial blessing. It could be that you got a truck with 450,000 miles on it that won't die because God's just blessing your stuff so it lasts longer. You know what I mean? You can be a good steward over that stuff. And so what we do is, because we don't fall in alignment, we take this key and we unlock curses. We unlock hardship. We unlock all this stuff that doesn't have to be in our lives if we fall in line with what God says financially for our lives. Make sense? It does us little good at all to believe God for a powerful financial blessing if we're not in alignment with what he says so we can operate in his authority and walk in the blessing and provision that we have a right to have as a child of God. It's all right here. We choose. But when you step out of the system, it gets dysfunctional. And when it gets dysfunctional, you don't operate in the authority and the power that he intends for us to operate in. Is this making sense so far? Trying to take a really deep spiritual concept and make it real practical so everybody can understand it this morning. Because if you get this, it'll change your life. Because if we're not lined up, if we're not in alignment, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And I see people get frustrated with giving. I see people get frustrated in their walk with God. I see people get frustrated because they say, I hear all the time I'm supposed to be overcoming this, that I'm supposed to be walking with authority and power. I hear all the time that I'm supposed to be able to have the mind of Christ. I hear all the time that I'm supposed to be able to shake off all of these issues and all this bondage and all these addictions and God's supposed to set me free. And we get frustrated with the fact that we're not making progress in an area, but we don't stop to ask ourselves, am I lining up with God's system? Am I lining up under God's authority? Am I operating my life the way that he wants me to, or am I opening up doors and sabotaging myself spiritually while I'm trying to make progress? And you can't do that and make progress. If you want to walk in power and you want to walk in authority, you have to line up. You have to line up. Everybody say line up. Got to line up. We don't get to operate in the fullness of his power and authority until we line up under his power and authority. That's just how it works. Y'all remember the seven sons of Sceva? 
You read about them in, in the New Testament. That, that's one of my favorite stories of all time. Talk about a bad day at work. A bad day at work. So these guys see Paul walking around and ministering and casting out demons, and they think, hey, that looks cool. We're going to try that too. That looks like a cool magic trick. So they go up to this guy who's possessed by a demon, and they say, in the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches, come out. And the guy looks at him, and he goes, yeah, hold on a second. I've got a can I'm about to open up on you guys. So he pops a can of whoop butt and just tears into them. All seven of them, the Bible says they ran out of there naked and bleeding. I've been in a lot of fights. I'm just going to say straight up. I never been beat so bad that I wanted to run out of there naked and bleeding. Bleeding, maybe. Naked? Nah, come on. Got to have some kind. They just got out of Dodge. Man, he beat the clothes off of them. Beat the clothes off of them. And here's the principle. Here's the point, okay? They were trying to operate in a level of authority without making sure that they were lined up under the proper authority to have the authority. They tried to do some spiritual warfare outside of relationship and outside of obedience. They just thought they would try something, and they got it handed to them. They got it handed to them. Most people in churches across America are getting their tails kicked because they see something and they're trying it, but they don't have a personal relationship or revelation of who Jesus is, and church to them is a ritualistic religious activity, and it has nothing to do with relationship. You're never going to have power outside of relationship with Jesus. It all starts there. It all starts there and then flows from obedience to what he's called us to do. Then you look on the other side of it and you look at Jesus. Everywhere Jesus went while he was on this earth, you see this common theme in his ministry. And you hear him say this phrase over and over again in the Gospels. He says that I say what I hear the Father say. And I do what the Father tells me to do. He lived a life of strong relationship with his Father in heaven. He even prayed one time and said, Father, I pray that these people become one, just like you and I are one. That's a powerful statement right there. Could you say this morning that you and Jesus are one? One mind, one heart, his thoughts, your thoughts. You say what the Father leads you to say. You do what the Father leads in perfect harmony, synced up perfectly. That's how Jesus operated his life. And then you see him... Later on, go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he goes in there to pray before his crucifixion. In my mind, what happens in Gethsemane is probably the most pivotal and, and powerful moment in Jesus' life. Because if he doesn't pray through and make the decision that he makes here, we don't have anything. We're not meeting today. It's over you do realize that Jesus was 100% God and 100% flesh at the same time. He could have took the ticket and got the train out of there if he wanted to. He didn't have to go through what he chose to go through for us. He did it as an act of obedience. And so he took the disciples with him. And he stopped and he said, you guys stay here and pray. And he went a little bit further. 
and he stopped and his inner circle stayed there and he said, you guys stay here and pray. I'm going to go a little bit further because this is what I know in life. When it comes to moments of surrender to the will of God, people can't pray you into it and your friends can't coach you into it. You've got to get to a place one-on-one with God where you make the decision yourself. It's not what I want, it's what you want. It's not my will, it's your will. It's not my desire, it's your desire. You tell me what you want to do with my life. And Jesus prayed one of the most sincere and honest prayers you'll ever hear somebody pray. Because he's looking in the face of what he's fixing to go through. And he says, Father, is there any way? Is there another way that this can happen without me having to do this? And then he prays again and he says, if it's possible, if there's any other way, will you let this cup pass from me? What he's saying is, I know what I'm fixing to walk into, and my flesh doesn't want to do it. Is there any other way that this can happen? And the Father says no, and Jesus says some of the most beautiful words ever. He says, all right, it is not about me, and it's not about what I want. Not my will, but yours be done. In that moment, of submission and obedience, Jesus lining up under the authority of his Father. Our salvation was secured. The rest of it was just icing on the cake. Once the decision was made, the rest of it was icing on the cake. You realize we're here today because of the decision that Jesus made to submit to the authority of his Father. We're here today. We have the authority and the freedom available to us today because of what Jesus did then in an act of submission, lining up with the authority of his father, lining up with the system that his father had in place. Now, I got a question for you as a person. I got a question for us as a church. If it depended upon your obedience, if it depended upon you lining up with what the Father says, would we, would we still be here today if you were in that position? Would we have the heart to submit to the authority and the will of God, even if it costs us? Even if we had to say, not what I want, but what you want. Because I got news for you, church. Our obedience doesn't really carry weight with what Jesus did back then, but our obedience carries weight with what Jesus can do in somebody's life today. Are you hearing me? Because when we step out in obedience to what God has called us to do in line with his authority, and we operate as his ecclesia on this earth, his government authority on this earth, and we implement his will for our lives, And his will for our church, that means lives are impacted and changed. And when we don't, that means the opposite is true. Because when we don't step into who God has called us to be, we don't reach the people that God wants us to reach. Even stop and think about that. A lot of times we think about what we can get from church, but we eventually have to hit the place where church stops to become, stops being about what we can get out of it and how we can contribute and how we can use our lives to pour out and allow God to use us to impact other people the way that he's used other people to impact us. That's called a process of spiritual maturity and growth. And the majority of the people in churches across America never move into that because they stay in the shallow water where it's convenient. 
I want to challenge you as your pastor this morning not to stay in the shallow water. I want to challenge you as your pastor to line up in your relationship with God and let him speak to you, let him grow you, to take those keys and bind up the stuff that needs to be locked up in your life and to loose the blessing of God, the power of God, the authority of God, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the gentleness, the self-control, the power and anointing of the Spirit of God. Our lives should show a wake of healed people, of restored people, Dead, rising from the grave, not putting our butts in the seat saying, Pastor, move me today if you can. We're supposed to have our own fire. We're supposed to have our own anointing. We're supposed to have our own passion, our own calling, our own ministry, our own impact on this world. And it doesn't happen until we get lined up in our relationship and under his authority and what he's speaking to us to do in our lives. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus comes back to this thought, talking to his disciples, and he says this. If y'all will put that up on the screen. We're getting ready to close this morning. Thank you guys for listening. We've had a lot that we put into the service today. Thank you guys for staying with me to the end of the message. Matthew chapter 18, verse 18. It says, truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. We just don't, we could spend a month digging into what that statement means. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything, two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Now here's the anchor that holds these two verses together. Go, go to verse 19 and 20 here. Verse 20, it says this, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. Let me unpack this for just a second. Y'all still with me? Yeah? Y'all still with me? If you're here, say, I'm here. here. All right, let me unpack this, and we're going to get out of here today. For two or three gather in my name. See, a lot of times we focus on, yeah, if we can agree together, then we can pray, and God's going to move, because if we get together, then God's going to answer the prayer of a couple of people that gather together in his name. And there is some truth to that, but the deeper truth and the deeper principle is this, is that when we gather together, that we gather together in his name. In his name means that we gather together in representation of him. If I send you to do something in my name, that means I'm sending you to represent me on my authority regarding the matter. Make sense? So Jesus says, if you guys, this is powerful, church. I want you to get this. He goes, listen, not only can you operate in authority in your life, but if two or three of you, two or three of you, if just some of you can get together in unity, if some of you can get together in unity, in relationship with me, and lined up, with my power, lined up with my authority. If I can get you guys together in my name, representing me, then I will be there with you. I will be with you when you go out. See, a lot of churches, a lot of churches aren't effective and they aren't productive because they got people scattered and trying to do their own thing and they're trying to come up with their own plans and their own agendas. And Jesus is saying, listen, if you guys will get on the same page, and get in unity, and line up with me, 
and come under my authority, if you get together agreeing on anything in my name, in my authority, lined up with my will and my purpose, if you will get together and come together and fall in line, I will be there with you and the gates of hell will not prevail against you. You will be my ecclesia. You will be my church. You'll be carrying out my commands, my orders, and there is not one Thing the enemy can do to hinder the flood of my power and my presence that I will unveil and unleash through you. You, church, listen, when we come together and we line up, we are an unstoppable force. The Bible says that if God is for us, who can be against us? Amen? Let's give God praise for that truth this morning. Stand to your feet, please. We're getting ready to close this morning. So what does that mean for us? I love the last two weeks because God is speaking to us. I hope you're feeling what I'm feeling as a pastor. God is stirring us up and refreshing our faith and refreshing and renewing our confidence in Him and what He has called us to do as a church. How many of you would say, Pastor Josh, Pastor Josh, I'm going to make sure that in my life, I'm lining up in my relationship with him. And I'm lining up under his authority so that I can operate with his authority in my life. How many of you would say that this morning? Because that's how it works. Relationship and obedience unlocks the authority and the power of God in our lives. That's how it works. Bow your heads and close your eyes.